I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Hull. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And if you're listening to this, this is a review of Navigators of Doom. Which I know that many of you have been waiting a long, long time for, because in theory this was supposed to be out last November, if I'm correct. Mm, yeah. November, December, or something like that. And, yeah. um, well, I... It was recorded, wasn't it? We, we did. did record, and then we had snafus with the audio and wound up losing it. And we never got back to recording it. Right. Until now. So, <laughs> along those lines, we have not reread the book, so our perception of this book is, is very uh, dated. Yeah, so uh, we are uh, going off of our a half year after half year reading it, so who knows what we'll say about this book. <laughs> Uh, but in all that being said, we have moved <laughs> on to another podcast that we are doing called the Orbital Sword Podcast. Yeah. And uh, so you can check us out at theorbitalsword.com. And um, we will probably re- be releasing this episode. So those of you in the Orbital Sword community, and we know there's about 70 maybe plus out there that are listening to the show, that this is a, just understand that this wraps up another podcast that we were doing Oh, for a couple of years, we've read through all the Dune books mm-hmm. that are out there, mm. and um, this is the final one that we have not wrapped up, although I'm assuming there'll, there'll probably be some other books coming out in the universe down the road. Right. So if you are an Orbital Sword fan and you're just learning about Dune, head over to dunesagapodcast.com, and you can find uh, the history of all our stuff there. If You can read along with us, uh, uh, you know. At your own pace. At your own pace. Yeah. Um, I know some people that are still, that are only just starting uh, reading the books and they're, they're listening to the show as they go along. Um, And uh, if you're from the Doomstock podcast, please, please come over to the Orbital Sword. Yeah. Uh, New thing there is we can, you can vote on uh, what book we're reading next. So, so if you really hate what we're doing, you can give us a terrible book and just vote it up. Yeah. Just kidding. No. <laughs> no. So well, as that, long as it's not a book about loots, we'll be good. Well, I mean, that might just win. Jim, no, Jim just, goes to twenty different computers and just like, like, and just loot, vote, loot, vote, loot, vote. Loot, loot. <laughs> yeah. He he's he's miming the loot on her, on her video here. So, yeah. oh, man, well, oh, man. So, navigators of dude. So, tell us a little bit. Um, can you remind us what was this book about, or do you want me to man. do that? So I'll, I'll try, and let's have you chime in where it's okay. Where it's good. So uh, this picks up right after Mentats of Doom. That's correct. And so with the start, we've got 
the Emperor Ro- Roberto Robert Roderick 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 uh, Emperor Roderick. Uh, his brother was killed, and he blames uh, Venport, the head of the well soon to be Spacing Guild, and the Navigators. And so he's um, it's not just blaming him; it's, he actually did kill him. Uh, so we've got the Emperor going after uh, Roderick. There's a war going on there. Then you have uh, Manfred Toronto's uh, war against Venport f- uh, from like a Butlerian Jihad. Yeah, he's like anti-technology, which of right. course is going against everything Venport. Mm-hmm. I mean, Venport what, is building Cymex and building ships and, whoa, technology. And that's the big thing. I mean, Venport's got these new, these new types of Cymex out there to attack... Uh, to attack um, Rod or Manfred, and uh, Manfred's on a, a rampage after the whole issue with the Mentats and almost wiping them out, or pretty much wiping them out. Um, Rasmus right. has escaped with uh, is it Ariel? Ariel? Uh, Anna. Did Anna, you say Anna? Anna. Anna. The uh, Roderick's sister. Uh, Rasmus has escaped with her. To Venport's special uh, research station. Yeah, it's like a planner or something, a research planet. Yeah, it's just like it's like yeah. um, like it's like toxic gases outside, and they have their station kind of in its little bubble. Yeah, it's like it, moon base. And I can't remember if this is. I think it happens during the book, but uh, Erasmus feels for the first time at home with uh, humans. Because he's got all these intellectual humans. He has this them. love relationship with Anna, right? I mean, Anna, he loves Anna, and they're like, you know, making love and doing that whole love thing. And then there's times where he's like, oh, Nana's too much. And then at the end, he kind of loves Nana again. I mean, she kind yeah. of flees. I mean, spoiler alert, flees the station, and, like, he goes out to rescue her heroic, her, her heroic knight, Rasmus. Yeah, she's a little crazy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's constantly demanding... Uh, physical attention from Erasmus and he he gets a little bit tired of yeah. it. Yep, yep. The magic has gone out of the relationship. <laughs> but in the end it saves Anna, I believe. You know, I guess and, and to be fair, that is the fault of the Bene Gesserits. Uh, that that the drug. It wasn't the she took the drug and it's the one that made her crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah, Remember yeah. if you go back in time like she took those capsules and Oh she, yeah. That's what that's how she wound up like that. That's yeah. right. And so now the Bene Gesserits are trying to play nice with the Carinos because they're kind of on the outs. Mm-hmm. So Rebuild their whole thing. And that, another subplot you got going on? Excuse me. Another subplot that we have going on here is um, with uh, Vorian Atreides. And oh, yeah. Vorian and the Harkonnens. His great-great-grandson or something. I think oh, yeah. yeah. Willem and uh, Oral. Oh, yeah. What? Oral? Yeah. The one grandson was killed. Yeah, that was Willem. That was Willem. Harkonnen girl. And uh, after she married him, she killed him on their wedding night. And so the other grandson, Orion. Yeah, Willem actually is continuing over the murder of Ori. Okay. Willem and and Vorian are off pretending to be different people to find out stuff and checking on. In the meantime, they're also checking on other Atreides. people to see how they're doing right. finds out his wife his current wife had died yeah and don't they discover like tula on this planet and there's this fight that happens and then they go pursue her and they end up on was it carino is that where they end up where they end up where, where do you remember what the planet is they end up with the final battle between them is that corin oh. 
Well, it's not Corrin, because Corrin was destroyed. Karino, maybe. Well, but they're on a destroyed planet. Oh, were they? Is I, it Kaitan? No. Kaitan? Oh, listeners, you can correct us. You probably know better than we do. But I don't... I, I want to say... Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't have it here in front of me. So, but. so yeah, we didn't have time to reread the book, uh, what with personal lives and also we're doing the new show so yep. we're reading stuff for that so. but this I mean that gives somewhat of a premise and there's some major battles that are happening and the navigators are there are trying to kind of save themselves as well yeah mm-hmm. right yeah and um, what's the promise that Norma gives oh yeah at the end what uh, isn't it something like that they will deal with or um well, she promises to keep uh, Venport safe earlier. Right. And then she also promises something to Robert Carino. Yeah, I don't remember what that is, but but that come that definitely comes into play towards the end of the, yeah. of the book. It kind so. of irks the Carinos a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe she promises to be subservient if she hands over uh, Joseph or something like that. Or hands him over for punishment. Mm-hmm. But all right, so that's kind of the premise of the book, right? So um, as you think back on this book and reading it, uh, what were overall impressions of the book? And we'll go to our rating down at the end. But so, David, what do you, as you, as you think back and reading it, what did you think? It's, it's a wrap-up of a trilogy of the school books, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, If I recall correctly, you were really stoked about the school books. Uh-huh. I really, really liked the school books. And I remember... Although I don't remember all the plot points, I remember really enjoying reading this, being excited for what's going to happen next. Um, uh, you know, how how are all these things going to wrap up? I mean, of the prequel books, I felt like this, these three books, one, stand on their own really, really well. And then I also felt like the world building they did for these schools and stuff was very interesting without just being like well this is how it happened like it still left you know a couple thousand years worth of of mystery but in the end like you kind of get what's what's happening and i really thought that that was very well done rather than just be like well this is what this is how the school formed and then it was then it was done and there's you know a simple answer uh, right we do get that background a little bit into it yeah jim how about you tell us a little bit about uh, I, uh... go ahead I liked it was it was quite the chess game going on between characters in this um Roderick started out and uh I I really thought he was going to be a benevolent ruler but he became so obsessed with uh ending Venport that um he 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 became more despotic as time went along um Benport all he wanted to do was business and he kind of manipulated things in a bad way and put himself in a bad position uh he was in charge of all the made possible all the space travel and it was kind of weird how both Roderick and uh Manford were willing to uh eliminate good space travel uh that Vanport was was uh offering and Vanport he was 
he was kind of a sneaky character because he he would have no compunction whatsoever of um, making sure that his competition had problems. Oh yeah, they would like disappear, right? You know, and and, and, yeah. and, and with Vanport too, he he uh, he's he he of course owned the banks at one point too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. I mean, it wasn't just. Yeah. I mean, he was business. He basically. I mean, it was a huge monopoly, and in one sense, this book is nothing more than the breakup of the Vanport monopoly. And I think that yeah. that, that well, and then the Benny Gesserit. You know, they are trying to room to to worm their way into favor everywhere. Yeah. Um, but the <laughs> when it comes down to it, you have uh, one person who is very very ambitious, and her entire being is uh, to destroy the Atreides. Yeah, absolutely. So, which puts her in a, I, I really I like the book. Yeah. Well, it puts her in a quandary a little bit uh because of course her sister who is uh actually carrying an Atreides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of like what I do with her, right? But no, I agree. So yeah. so you so you're saying overall you enjoyed the book. I love yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I I'm trying to remember what I thought and I it was one of these things where we had read this is like the 17th to 20th book of Dune that we had read and there were times in reading it, if I recall, that it felt like, okay, we're back in this world, we're back in this. But I think um, besides that, I kind of agree with what you're saying, Jeb. There was a lot of chess playing, and it was interesting, mm-hmm. and um, it was great to revisit the, for example, the Cymex were brought back into this story, and they were gone for many, many stories. So it was great to see them back, and and. I liked the book. I, you know, I, I'm not saying it was my favorite of the Dune books, but it was an enjoyable read. And, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, while there were some things that I, I didn't particularly care for, like, um, you know, Roderick, I felt, I agree with what David said that he was kind of, he was not the emperor we were hoping it would be. Like we just got off of a really, <sighs> Temper tantrum emperor. I don't remember what we call. Like he was just a bad emperor, and and in the background you saw this man that had a potential, Roderick. The potential would be so much more. Um, yeah, he was he was the superior. He he was definitely the superior emperor, except for the death of his brother drove him almost mad. He was superior, but yeah, didn't uh, it yeah. didn't it didn't. He just didn't. He just uh, he didn't rise to once. Once the death of his brother happened, he became unhinged. Right. He wasn't. He wasn't well, the man know, that he would have been had he come to power otherwise. Go ahead, Jim. It, it seems like whenever when any of these Carinos are uh, do actually gain the ultimate power, their characters just kind of crash. Mm. And I and I don't mean I don't mean the character themselves, but the person's character just kind of goes into the toilet and they become obsessed with being rulers. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of, it's all of these people are, uh, the Carinos and the Harkonnens are the same bloodline, you know? So the same flaws yeah. exist in both. And, and you can kind of see that 
you can see that parallel where where one always one is bitter and struggling for power, and one is pow- powerful and corrupt. Almost so, in every story. So, are you advocating more of a, a nature versus nurture approach? I mean, this is like nature, like it's something inherent in their bloodstream. Or are they uh, just learning this through default of being human? I think this book, these books, all have a lot to do with genetically passing on things, and I. Yeah, there so, is a sense of nurture. So I, I would say it's it's a it's a nurture it's a genetically passed down character flaw. Not all of them have it because there have been characters to rise above, like um, the parents of uh, the two nephews in oh, the yeah. original books. But um, and overall, there are, and, and there are always exceptions. Like so, the Harkonnen. Like when you look at the series, the Harkonnens are typically viewed as being bad and evil, and. Yeah. And and then the Atreides are typically good, but it's not blanket across the board. No, no, no. But it's yeah. It, but it, it was just exactly revenge. the opposite. What was that? It was exactly the opposite in the beginning, though. It is because the Atreides right. were not good, and the Harkonnens were heroes. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's true. So they flip it, but then this. Uh, but then this. The blood feud becomes so, it's like, you know, the sins of their fathers being passed on to their sons type of philosophy. Right, right. So. Yeah. And it's an interesting, like... Well, and Vorian... Oh, go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, Vorian was willing to let it all go, you know, and and just let it be, but... He, um, he, and he tried, like, he worked for so... his the enemy you know kind of incognito and really learn to love the family and and by yeah through uh through the fate the fates did not look favorably upon them yeah but yeah this is a this is a hatfield and mccoy situation where the harkonnens are not going to let it go at all yeah, so you're saying that all that Kevin Janderson and Brian Herbert are doing is retelling the stories of the Hatfields and McCoys. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, yeah. Maybe in a very, very complicated way, though. <laughs> yeah, it is true. It's true. And maybe not quite as backwoods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't say complicated as much as maybe complex. Yeah. Well, so let's. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the characters here that we have here? Um, you know, I, I, let me start with a character that I learned to appreciate. So when we first encounter Tula, when she first, you know, is there and then, you know, she kills Ori, right? You're like, this woman is a bastard. You, you're just like, you just hate her, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but by the end of this book, she is really, she really, again, has a conscience, I mean, we talk about, you were talking earlier just a moment ago about how the Atreides are notoriously good and the Harkonnens notoriously bad. But here's a, here's a woman that has a, has a sense of regret, empathy, and there's a little bit, there's redemption in Tula. And so Tula, even though she's a minor character to the story and certainly not playing into the major story arc, was enjoyable to watch grow as a dynamic character that has changed. So much so that she realized that she actually loved Ori. Does she realize that she loved him, or is it more just like a regret that she's uh, she is a byproduct of her environment? Uh, well, maybe that too. Yeah, maybe that. It's been a while since I read Jim. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, Valia 
as we could see throughout the story, she she was very, very manipulative. She manipulated and murdered her way to becoming the mother superior of the Bene Gesserit. And uh, she manipulated her own sister into going and getting the training that she needed to be an assassin, more or less, and sent sent them out against the Atreides, sent her out against the Atreides. Uh, you know, yeah. the poor girl Wait. was programmed to do what she did. Yeah, well, certainly. And so I think that that's kind of what she's wrestling with, is like, you know, the fact that she was programmed to do something that she may not have done if she wasn't, you know. Well, she realizes that what has been, what she has done had nothing to do with her. Right. Seriously. And that she, she wants to move on. Uh, and then when she's ready to, okay, we're done with this. We're not going to do this anymore. Valia shows up on the planet. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It, it, it's 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 true it's true i don't know if I, I think it's a full circle of redemption but she definitely has the remorse but it's, it's certainly when we talk about like her being a, oops, a, a dynamic character then you have valia that is static like she really doesn't change she's she's evil at the beginning yes her rank her position changes but there's no change like, she is out to take care of the atreides right i mean that's Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, she reminds me very much of, remember the Honor Matres? The Honor Matres? Yeah. It reminds me like it's a precursor, yeah. like that vengeance, that, that fighting. It, it makes you mm-hmm. wonder if, it, in a way, it was bred down to them. You know? uh, maybe. Because the, the uh, sisterhood is very much, I don't want to say they're inbred, but they mean they keep their own. You know, That's how they can make more of themselves. Any daughters yeah. Join, yeah. automatically join into the sisterhood. Yeah, absolutely. That's just the way the sisterhood works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say, so other characters. What other characters? Uh, why don't we just roundtable this? Uh, Jim, What a, a favorite character for you in this book? Uh, always, always Vorian Atreides. <laughs> uh, I, I, this guy, he is so cool. I, I'd love to hang out with him. <laughs> As long as, as long as Vala wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's very true. That's true. (laughs) Uh, He was, he's been a favorite character of mine ever since the first, uh, the very first book uh, in the Dune series. And I just like the guy. He he just seems very likable. He's, he's a peaceful person uh, until he needs to be otherwise and then he can be very formidable but it doesn't take over his personality when the war is over when the fight is over he just goes back to being a normal person and which is exactly what he would like to do is just go someplace and lay down all the arms and just have as much of a normal life as he possibly can. Oh yeah, totally. But he's not being allowed to do that yeah. because he's constantly pursued. Yeah. Well, they kind of hint at the end that he might get that now that they think he's dead. Yeah, that's true. But they well, thought he was dead, sort of before. Yeah, sure. 
See, and that's what I'm thinking would come next is the story of how the houses were formed and how they became what they were in the original Dune novel by Frank Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. Yeah, or at least up to you know, the, how did, the house books. So are you saying, Jim, there's, a, yeah. there's another novel in here somewhere? Uh, gosh, I'll tell you what. I would really like to see how... Uh, how Vorian started the uh, rulership of uh, of Caladan. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that too. Oh, yeah. And how how they all kind and, of started. I would like I would like a book that that has like their their houses kind of really shows them uh, establishing themselves on their quote unquote home planets. Gidi Prime, yeah. you know. Um, any of that kind of stuff, or even, even one up to the point where uh, it explores a little bit more of uh, Dune getting passed around from family to family, like the Harkonnens having it, or whoever. I forget who had it before the Harkonnens, because wasn't wasn't Arrakis on like a, it was on like a program where it spent X amount of years with each family, right? That's my understanding, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. that the uh, Arrakis belonged to, um. Gosh, I can't remember his name, but he he was in with uh, with the Carinos. He was a failed mentat. Mm. What's this now? You remember his? Well, name? you know, in the Dune, when we when we first hit the original Dune story, of course the the Harkonnens have it, right? And then they get it right. taken away, and then we have, of course, the Atreides. Yeah. But prior to that, I don't know who is owning it. I think it's. I think it is. I'm. I think that this book does deal with. Go it. ahead. Okay. Yeah. See, I. I thought I remember in Dune it was a fiefdom that got passed. Yeah. From from house to house. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't remember. Owned by owned by the Empire, given as a a gift to whichever house was in favor. Right. At the time. Right. Okay, how about you? Yeah. Uh, character for you. Oh geez. Um, I think I enjoyed the most reading Erasmus. Uh, Erasmus is great, and, and his and his growth, uh, or lack of growth, depending on which part of the story you're in. <laughs> but uh, just kind of seeing him, it, I, this book was different because he went from uh, wanting to experiment with people, looking out for himself, looking out for himself, and then this, when he gets to this this planet with all these other scientists, it's for the first time he's around quote-unquote, like-minded humans. Humans that think the way he does, which in his entire history, he never experienced. I mean, he had the Mentats who he helped train, but they weren't scientists. They were computers, living computers, basically. And this, this here he's with people who want to mentally explore boundaries and create things. And that, and he kind of, uh, embraces that and kind of he does manipulate them to make his body and stuff but at the same time like he just doesn't instantly just think these meat bags like i want to get rid of them he's like oh this is this is a place for me in this yeah. world you know when it- for me he was scarier than hell because uh you know he he's the one that started all this stuff oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. okay and for him to be able to come back and move around and continue doing what he did was really scary to me. 
No, no, I I hear you. He he certainly had a uh, the fact that he was able to get like a, a flesh body was kind of interesting, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that did make him uh, did bring up his the terror of him in a sense a whole new level. Although he didn't see him really act out in that body. Now I forget his body gets destroyed, but is there any like um, closure as to or anything leading up to how he might have gotten back to the machine world at this point? Well, don't they go out and recover? I mean, there's how, no escape for him. He's just survives. Is that the? Well, yeah, okay. he has a core, but I don't know how that core is saved or redeemed. Or I mean, we obviously you know encounter him at the end of the series, but right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of? Uh, so, when I think of like Manford Toronto, or I think of Joseph Vanport, there's a lot of there's a lot of story that happens, but they as characters themselves don't really evolve a lot in this book. They're kind of set on their own their own thing. You know, mm-hmm. Manford's uh, j- jihad against uh, technology and Vanport against Manford and trying to escape the wrath of the emperor. Um, but you really don't have them changing a lot as people, do we? No, I think this is the, this book, like many of the third books in, in the, by Brian and, and Kevin is mostly, I don't want to say action, but plot. It's more, more it's plot more, than his character for yeah, these, for these two, at least. Yeah. More plot resolution and character development uh, it's yeah. like they've spent two books building these people up and growing them and, and now we're going to see the fruits of that growth in yeah, a sense yeah. yeah yeah i'll tell you what though there was nothing for me that was more satisfying than seeing manford get dispatched <laughs> <laughs> dispatched i like the way you put that so <laughs> he was definitely dispatched. What do you think? Now, so he's when he's dispatched. What do you think about the change that overcomes in Nari, Idaho? I mean, this is like the predecessor to our one of our favorite characters, Duncan, Idaho. I don't remember what happens to her. Well, she kind of changes. She's ready to. Go she's ahead. ready to step in and take over. Is what she wants yeah. to do. She yeah. wants to keep things going. That's right, but they're kind of they're kind of relegated to like a planet, right? Is yeah, that... they can't go anywhere because Venport's not going to take them anywhere. Well, no, and, and I think I think the government too comes on and says, "You guys, you know, because of what you did to our planet as well, you're kind of on the outs." As, you know, stuck here. Yeah, what's, stuck what's here. A, do we remember what the name of the planet? Ah, yeah, man, I don't. My uh, curse, my short well, brain. It was it was simply Manfred's power was simply in the numbers of people that he had with him. Otherwise, the Carinos would have done done away with him long before uh, before it happened. But um, you know they they would show up on uh, the Carinos planet and just basically just start running crazy. And Manfred would say, oh, well, you know, that's tough. That's the way it's going to be. You play ball my way or else I'll bring even more. Yeah, it was, he almost had a, well, he would incite this mob mentality in the people that was in a way irresistible. I mean, he incited such fanaticism that um, 
people would join just because they were afraid of what would happen if they didn't join. Oh, yeah. And that's why... Exactly, yeah. The government can't stop all of the people when... I mean, they basically... They, they can't fight civilians. Right. But they can keep them on one planet. That's true. <laughs> yeah. At least at this point. Because without, without, Manfred's, without Manfred's instigators, it doesn't pop up. Yeah. Elsewhere. Very true. So... Any other major characters of note that we should be talking about here? I mean, I think we hit some of them here. I think we got a good portion. I mean, there's Norma, but that's more of an ending type. Oh, yeah. She just pops in and pops out. I mean, she does end up protecting the navigators in the end, which was there was a plot kind of afoot to kind of destroy them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So we have them preserved. We have, of course, the Spice Stockpile. There are some people in Arrakis that we kind of follow um, with the Spice Stockpile that is kind of destroyed, which um, obviously is important to the Navigators. Mm -hmm. Um, And Norma, I think, forces them to go to try to protect it. Now, I forget, do do the Sisterhood start using Spice in this one? Or is that still left out? No, I don't think so. We we, we do have, what, the Truth Sayers. We have the Truth Sayers and we have the Fighting. Right. Yeah. Part of that. I don't think they have another drug they're using, but it's not spice. The spice trials yet. Right. Um, And um, Tuloxu, do they spend that? Do they uh, play into this at all? I don't think so. Not 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 in a major way, at least. All right. So, any favorite scenes as we look back and think back on this book here? I can't remember anything in particular that stands out. Nothing. I know there was a space battle that Vemport is whisked away at the last minute by Norma. Which is every space battle. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, that is true. Yeah, he was just, they were, he was just about to win and turn the table when Norma felt that there was danger and she grabbed Venport at the wrong time. That's right. And it, it otherwise the book would have been over right there. It'd have been right. 10 pages and that's it. Boom. <laughs> done. Short. This is, a, this is a, a short story and we're done. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and I guess the battle too, at the end when the climactic conclusion of like Venport being killed and Erasmus being doomed and, you know, Anna being rescued. I mean, you have that, that's kind of a climactic, you know, event and of course as you mentioned earlier the demise of manford uh was very delicious in some ways yeah it was <laughs> it was very satisfying seeing him <laughs> yeah. go away i i just did not like him but you know it, it was necessary plot device certainly and yeah. certainly certainly um you know the butlerian jihad bringing the jihad you know is it was, it was huge well and you know it would it would also be really neat to see a story of how that fanaticism be, became absorbed into the philosophy of the entire uh, the entire empire. Yeah, because it does. It does. I mean, we obviously um, there. I mean, they they have shunned technology, and so it has at least to some degree. It's been it, it infiltrates. Well, yeah, society. mechanical. Mechanical devices are okay, but they cannot be computerized. Right. A so, person must be in charge of them. So, you know, thou shalt make 
uh, no machines in the image of man's mind or something yeah. like that. So yeah. it, it really, it really um, evolves into something completely different as time goes on in that thousand years uh, from the end of this book to Frank Herbert's Dune. Right. So, yeah, so, and how many years did you say it was? A thousand. Uh, a, a couple thousand. Yeah, according to, according to what I thought, it was about a thousand years. All right. So, something in that time period changes. Yeah. So, yeah. so maybe there is more story there. But... I'm sure there so is. So, Brian and Kevin, get to work on it. Yeah, come on, <laughs> come on. So chop, chop, chop. Um, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, I have no quotes for this book, by the way. Oh, man, me neither. Yeah, but, but I do have, no. I, I do have some bad reviews. Oh, uh, let's hear it. Do you want to hear, do you want to hear some of the bad reviews? Let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. the bad reviews. Bad reviews. So these, so as you know, in the podcast, we've done uh, bad reviews. And so these are two star reviews. They do have some one star. We'll start with two star. We'll read two two star and I'll read two one stars. Is that all right? Sounds good to me. All right. So, um... This is from Benjamin, and he says this. I've never read a book with more repetition. Every motive was given, told, and reiterated to the point that it significantly detracted from the otherwise fine storyline. I'm usually a fan of the series and the author, but for whatever reason, they just spent so much more time rehashing than spinning a new tale. Hmm. I don't feel like... I mean. I didn't feel like this one. There, there have been books that are just rehash after rehash, and I, I didn't feel like that. This was one of those, but that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah and uh, we've heard this complaint before, and I remember discussing it before. But I, if that is the case, I'll tell you what, it didn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. At yeah. my age, it's nice to be reminded of things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um so this is by uh Athen and uh she says nothing great. If you enjoyed the Dune books after Frank Herbert passed, then this is more for you to read. It's not great literature and the characters have little to no depth, personality or growth, but I do kind of enjoy the world and finding out what happens in it. Even so, there were multiple times I really wished sandworms would eat the, everyone in the entire cast. Everyone <laughs> Vala, Valia is a horror Vor never learns Roderick, Joseph Manford are extremists and on and on Sandworms could have them all and I would have been okay with it well, they didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> so the rise of the sandworms huh yeah <laughs> So, uh, so those are the two star reviews let me, let me go back to, let, me, let me go to some one stars see if anyone has any uh one, so this uh, this is a one star. Oh, this is a little bit lengthy. Let me read this. So this is by Wade. Ready? You ready to hear Wade's review? I'm ready. All right. This book felt very contrived to me. It was as if Herbert and Anderson simply had to write a third book. And this was the somewhat inevitable conclusion. What it failed to do in my mind was make a good connection, a good connection from the old Lord history of the original Dune series to the beginning of the Houses of the Dune series, which blended well into the original series. It simply ended, leaving me feeling like there maybe should be more to come, but not making me interested to read it. 
So they actually, he, just to stop here, he's echoing a little bit what we said. We want a little bit more of the house stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, uh, Jim, mm-hmm. that's kind of what you were saying, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, also, I hated how they played fast and loose with the concepts of numbers of people overwhelming technology or being overwhelmed by it whenever it was the plot convenient to go one way or the other. When it was better to let these huge mechanical war machines obliterate mobs of unshielded fanatics, great. When it was convenient for them to have the mobs swarm and bring down the great machines, perfect. I didn't see an internal consistency here, and it bothered me. This was disappointing, not for enough self and this trilogy, but because this will hopefully be the final book Hopefully, I like that. Hopefully, be the final book written in this massive series. And as much as I've enjoyed the world of Dune, this one did not leave a good taste in my mouth. And an unfortunate way to conclude. If you read all the other ones, you might as well finish this one too. But if you, if you have yet to begin this trilogy, I recommend skipping it. <laughs> I, I, people are so give and take with the expanded universe, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I mean, we talked about it before. Uh, although some of it, I've, I understand, you know, uh, where you're coming from. But I really like this trilogy the best out of all of them, uh, the prequels. So, well, so let me let me be clear that when we when we like we picked out two and one stars here on Goodreads, there were forty three two stars and twenty eight one stars. But guess. How many five star reviews there are? Uh, man, I have no clue. I'd say over a hundred. Two hundred and twenty five. Oh wow! So the majority of people ah. scored this four stars. In fact, four stars are two hundred eighty eight. Three stars are one hundred and eighty six. So the majority of the people gave it three stars or higher. Okay. So mm-hmm. overall, positive reviews. Yeah. Yep. And um, and maybe it'd be good just to like kind of read like one five star review yeah, because we, let's leave it on a positive note here. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Tate said, despite their often maligned and unwarranted reputation, I've always found the new canon in the Dune universe, particularly the prequel mythologies, to be high quality science fiction, and Navigators of Dune is no exception. Put simply, succinct syntax and perfectly amiable prose laying the groundwork for an existing world, almost un un uh unrivaled in its ambition, a logical and entertaining convergence of events that ultimately bring the great schools into being. There's really nothing more to be said. And those who cling to the original works and abscond everything else seem to hold blindly to the outdated modes of composition. Yes, Frank Herbert created an original great work, but viewing the latter books in this series, particularly Heretics and Chapter House, as books without significant flaws like view is like viewing them through a dirty pane of glass or rose-tinted glasses. The universe of Dune was one that deserved to be mined, pun intended, and explored. <laughs> For the most part, both Prine and Kevin have done more than an adequate job of realizing this gargantuan task. Five stars. It was funny that you, uh, uh, was it Michael, Michael Tate? Is that, yeah. He's, uh, he's one of our listeners. I know, oh. I know we've heard from him before. Oh, yeah. So. So, yeah. And, and to be fair, let's just say that we we read on the Old World of Sword, we just got done with Heinlein, a book in its time hailed as being one of the 80 great books that influenced America. Right? Mm-hmm. And. Now you look at it and saying, well, does not hold up to the test of time. Maybe if Herbert would have written it in today's audience, would it have come out the same way? 
Probably not. Probably not. No. Yeah, probably not. So maybe uh, what he's saying is that these are, in a sense, they can't be Dune, but nor would you want them to be Dune. Dune. And I think, I think we felt that when we were because we read them chronologically, right? And I think that we felt that switching. It was nice to to switch to the heady stuff, but then after you know the first couple of Frank Herbert written books. They were really written for their time, and yeah. and and it feels, it feels, like it is outdated, yeah. the writing style. So I agree. And it's not that they aren't deep and good, yeah. and I certainly appreciated Dune for what it was. So yeah. so hear all that. If yeah. you want to hear what we really thought about Dune, yeah, go, see, back I, yeah. go ahead. Jim. I have to wonder. I want. I have to wonder if Frank Herbert would have been published today, whether he, you know. He could have written as very contemplatively as he did, but would would any publisher touch it? Uh-huh. I mean, he had trouble finding a publisher for it when he wrote it. Oh yeah, or he had a car a car manual man uh, publisher. Yeah, publisher. the Chil- the yeah. Chilton's company. I mean, that's self publishing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be probably the way he would have to go. Yeah. 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 Well, um, we do have some listener feedback. We do good. Yeah, let's it's uh, two short ones. Uh, let's just hit these up because it might be a long time before we get back to this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So let's 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 do some feedback on this. Okay, Ming Lord writes in says, "Miss you guys. Are you doing slash planning to do a podcast with same fearsome trio or any other subject matter slash books? Either way, live long and pro- prosper." Ming Lord. Well, we did talk about this at the beginning. We've got. Uh, the orbital sword so hopefully uh ming lord you come over there yeah and join us we're doing general sci-fi santa fantasy stuff uh so but it's the same three stooges same three dudes <laughs> three stooges <laughs> one, one loot and one uh, loot player and i uh... <laughs> yeah so yeah we hope that you'll join us over there uh, thanks for your support yeah absolutely uh luke wutan I hope I'm saying that right. It says, guys, I just wanted to thank you for your podcast. I've been a long-time Dune reader, and it's been so wonderful and informative to discover your podcast, even if it is over and I'm late to the party. Thank you so much for your effort and insight. Hope all is well. Well, well, Luke, thank you for listening later than uh, and enjoying it as you go along. I mean, that's why we've got it. We're keeping it up there for people to to dig into dune and and uh you know keep the fan base going absolutely even after mm-hmm. we've moved on a little bit i mean if we're if there's more there will be back i'm sure yeah yeah is there any other feedback in particular regarding uh nothing navigators that i see here in regarding right. yeah. specifically it has been a while it has yeah. been a while um as far as the the future of dune here's what i know from following um some of the stuff that's been coming out so uh brian said that there's no plans for any books now and that they had a contract to write x amount of books and with navigators they fulfilled that contract so they're not saying that they're done they're just saying at this point both of them have other things to focus on uh which includes short stories in the dune universe which are being published uh in short story uh books or on their own, I can't quite remember how. I think there's a collection of different stories that includes some dude ones. Uh, I think they might be putting out a book of short stories, but 
no full novelization narrative at this point. Uh, the other big news is the movie. Right. And Lionsgate, Lionsgate has purchased the movie to... Or at least the rights. The right. rights, yeah. And uh, I guess, le- uh, I think Brian put up something recently that said it could be a series or it could be a movie. And I forget, he said something about the timeline as well as to where it could be placed. They are heavily involved, but at this point, it's still being worked out what it's going to be, what it's going to be, how it's going to be. But it's exciting that it's moving along. And, uh, oh, yeah. And when you look at uh, Brian's tweets on Twitter or his uh, his Facebook things, yeah. he is very enthusiastic about it. Which is great, because if he wasn't, I mean, that would, if he was just like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's a movie coming, we'll talk later. Yeah. You never know what could have could be. So a little bit of news on that. Apparently, writer Eric Roth uh, is... Um, going to be helping write the Dune Ruby. Okay. He, he's the guy that wrote Forrest Gump. Okay, cool. So, so I mean, there's there's definitely some talent there if we can execute it. I think when it happens, whoever does it, it's, whoever writes and directs, they both they need to be drama-orientated and not action-orientated. Well, this Dennis, the guy that, the guy that directed Arrival just came out, is directing Dune. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Arrival is... Now, they're calling Dune a re- reboot. Would you call this a reboot? Yeah, because oh, because they did original. It's not line, David yeah. Lynch, and it's not it's not connected to any of the other Doom material that's out there. So, yeah, I mean, in the same fashion that the new Spider Man's a reboot, you know, it's not connected to the other ones. Yeah. So, mm. all right. So that about takes us to where well, I have a okay. Go ahead, Jim. I have a little tiny bit of feedback. Okay. Uh, that I'd like to give from myself. Okay. And I want to say. Dave, David, thank you, because this was your brainchild about oh, yeah. almost, uh, almost four years ago when you invited me to be a part of this, and I'll tell you what, I will be grateful forever, because <laughs> it has been awesome. It's been fun. It's been something I've looked forward to, and I, yeah. I'm really glad that we're continuing this in the Orbital Sword. Yeah, I'm glad to be, to be with oh, you yeah. guys here for this yeah. continuing journey. I remember arguing with Jim... Because he didn't think he could do it. And I said, Jim, you're perfect for this. And he's like, I don't know. I don't, I've never <laughs> read any of these books or anything. And you watch. He said the same thing about fantasy books. And we're going to have him a fantasy reader before you realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just remember discussing what we were going to call this show. While I was running in one of my runs, you'd oh, yeah. me in. I was like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm on the other end like, he talks on the phone while he's running. This guy's way more athletic than I am. I don't even run. <laughs> I need to, to keep my weight down. Boy, my family's history of heart disease is not does not look kindly on me. So, well, let's let's hit up our um, wait, wait, let's, review. Let's, let's do the wrap. Yeah, we'll score. The book. Oh, we do. We, got, we do have to score yeah. the book yet, huh? Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. Uh, you want to start? What did sure. You, how did you rate the book? I I remember rating it as four out of five, and I think I had four out of five for all of these, and, yeah. and I stand by that. That that I really enjoyed this trilogy a lot. Yeah. It was refreshing. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Jim? Yeah, I I have to agree. I'm gonna. I gave it a five uh, when we originally recorded, and I'm not gonna back down from that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's definitely a good conclusion. You know, if there are some faults. It is that sometimes it gets a bit ponderous. 
uh, and that the characters of Joseph Benport and and Ma- Manford become a bit stale for me. Uh, but I like the book. I, I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5, and I have no clue what I originally read. <laughs> so... So uh, <laughs> this might, maybe I'm being more forgiving, maybe I'm being harsher than I was. I don't remember, but uh, I do appreciate the, uh, I did appreciate the book. And I'm glad to have read it. So, Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, so, well, normally at this point is where we would do our, how to get in touch with us. And um... so here's how I would suggest getting in touch with us. Right. So right now we are doing the orbital sword. And so let, let's, let's tell them where to find the orbital sword. And if they want to give us some Dune feedback, just say, Hey, this is for your Dune podcast. Cause we might pop in and if we get enough feedback, we'll do a Dune like feedback show yeah. and, and, uh, and we'll pop it and you'll see it up here, maybe in both feeds. Yeah. But, um, so where can they find us on the orbital sword here? Okay. So orbitalsword.com. Right. Is our website. Yeah, you down, absolutely. You can download it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those usual stuff. If you just want to hit up the Dune stuff, dunesockapodcast.com. Yeah, absolutely. That's where you'll find all that. Yeah. As far as email goes, you can hit us up at theorbitalsword.com. That, at, g- gmail.com. at gmail.com. Theorbitalsword at gmail.com. That's the best way to get in touch with Yeah, that. absolutely. Uh, Twitter, we're on Twitter, Orbital Sword on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that'll get it there as well. And you can obviously join our Facebook page. We would love that. Leave a message for us there. Put a comment up there. And we're just kind of getting that up and running. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. So one of the things, I mean, the Orbital Search just recently launched, but we did not take a break from reviewing books. So there's a, a small back catalog yeah. there for your listening to. So we just wanted to make sure that when we launched, we were as prepared as possible. Yeah. Uh, you hit up the or you hit up orbitalsword.com. You'll be able to see what we're currently reading right there on the front page. There's also a decide what we read page where you can vote uh, what the next book will be. Uh, we've got a couple selections up right there. If you want us to read a book at this point, shoot us an email or a tweet or hit us on Facebook. You know, tell us a suggestion. Yeah. Eventually, we'll have polls for that as well. But we're yeah, we're, we're kind of working up to it right now. Uh, so yeah. that's that's all the yeah. good the good news there. So if you're voting, vote for Sword of Shannara. <laughs> Brissinger was is leading the way at the time of this recording. So forty five percent. So I'm gonna have to go to another machine and vote again. Vote, vote there. <laughs> so, Jim, oh. did you vote? Did you do your civic duty and vote? Yeah. Jim. Uh, you guys were breaking breaking up. Oh yeah, that's right. Did you do your civic duty and vote, Jim? Uh, no, that wouldn't be right, would it, for me to vote on my... my I voted on my... I (laughs) cannot uh, confirm nor deny whether I voted or not. Uh, If you haven't voted, go ahead and vote. Yeah. Don't go to 14 computers and vote, Jim. Yeah, Jim. We know what you did the last time. Go to your school computer lab and open them all up and... Like, we'll put, you can hypnotize people with your loot music and uh, and get them to vote for what you want. It's a good thing school's out, because I can tell you, everybody who wants extra credit, go Yeah, go, go here vote and vote. Go book. vote. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That would be great. Uh, you get the morning off for a marching band if you vote for my book. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right, well, I believe that's about it. Why don't we uh, go ahead and wrap up the show? So, for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Bolton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulud continue to clear the path before you.